shall we gather at the river of forgiveness where the healing waters flow, come together at the waters of love, the river of forgiveness. With the world literally on fire around us and the virus still uncontained and the fires of racism still burning with democracy in our nation in danger of just slipping away, is it really the river of forgiveness we need to visit? So much harm has been done. Won't encouragement to simply forgive allow the injustice to continue? All the greed, all the lies. Do we need to begin this church year with forgiveness? Or do we need a prophetic call to justice, a demand that we put some stakes in the ground and finally get serious about the beloved community or just stop pretending that justice, equity, and compassion are truly our dream. Now, I do believe it is time for putting some stakes in the ground. It is time for people of good faith to be clear about what we stand for and what we are not willing to accept. These, my friend, are rubber meets the road times. I do believe that. But we are liberal religious people. We are people of faith. And so we cannot put aside our faith in love or our practice of compassion, promising that we will return to them just as soon as our point of view seems to be in the ascendance once more. Somehow, somehow we need to navigate these troubled and troubling times without sacrificing all that we hope to be. Because what we bring to these times and how we live through them, we will carry that forward in us and with us. But because the harms have, that have been done are so flagrant and, and so confidently justified, self-righteousness is ever-present, there seems more need to visit the banks of that river of forgiveness now more than ever. I think we all need to wade in that water. We have all harmed others, and we know it. Not intentionally, most of us, but there are no innocents among us. We are all in need of forgiveness, and we have all been harmed bruised or worse, been passed over, slighted, unfairly judged, excluded. We all have the choice and the chance to grant forgiveness as well. To grant forgiveness or at least somehow prevent our lives from being dominated by the harm that has been done to us. The banks of the river of forgiveness are not new spiritual territory for any of us. I think most of us know something about how forgiveness works in our personal relationships, how the granting of forgiveness can in fact liberate us, can free us. In the words of our reading this morning, forgiveness is connected to both memory and time. It asks us to engage our feelings about something in the past 
in order to change our experience in the present and allow us to move into the future. To be able to move into a future not determined by harm done to us in the past. We let go of the power that harm could have and perhaps has had in our lives. We refuse to grant control of our future to that past harm. Forgiving can be empowering. When the mourners at Mother Bethel AME in Charleston forgave the shooter who killed their pastor and eight others in that circle of prayer, or when the survivors of the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh forgave the young man who opened fire among them, they were refusing to allow that harm to define their future, refusing to be imprisoned by that tragedy in their past. As one survivor in Pittsburgh described it, if you don't express forgiveness, the harm lives on inside you. It eats you up. Being able to forgive is what gives you the ability to move forward. They were choosing a future in which they could still believe in love. You know, I could almost leave this sermon right here. Forgiveness of harm done as a pathway to liberation, it's a good sermon. And there is certainly wisdom to be found in how the victims of violence are somehow liberated by their forgiving, how their forgiving strips the power from that violence and denies power to the person who harmed them. There's real wisdom there. But forgiveness is a complicated process. That's why we return to it again and again. So let me try to push a bit further. There is more here to acknowledge and more here, in fact, for us to work with. The theologian Howard Thurman writes about disciplines of the spirit. Thurman was known as a mystic. His meditations can be a real comfort. But he also calls for a challenging level of truth-telling, of self-knowledge. For Thurman, forgiveness at the personal level is a discipline of knowing the truth. He writes, if I have slandered, I must call it slander. If I have accused falsely, I must call it false accusation. I must strip myself of all alibis and excuses. My intentions do not matter. Only the outcome of harm I have done. Therefore, true forgiveness is possible, he goes on, true forgiveness is possible only when the offender is able to stand inside the harm he has done and look out at himself as if he were the other person. To stand inside the harm done. This is a call for empathy, a call to walk in the other's shoes or roll in the other's wheelchair first. And the same applies when we have been harmed. We need to stand inside the harm to know it, be present to it. 
There is no call to forget the injury here. No call to pretend that the wounds are not real, that there has not been loss, that there is nothing to be angry about. Thurman's language to stand inside the harm requires the capacity to know ourselves, to know as much truth about ourselves as we can bear, to accept the responsibility that is ours directly, and even the complicity that we may not have intentionally wished for. To stand inside the harm is to engage in love's toughest work, the work of self-knowledge and self-forgiveness. Reverend Donna Shaper compares self-forgiveness to the process of stripping the finish from an old chair right down to the bare wood. You strip away all the years of grime, the garish coats of paint piled one on top of the other. You try to find the solid, simple thing that's underneath. I have to discover the original under all these coats I've added. Strip away all the cynicism and anger I've built up. Defy my disappointments. Acknowledge the harm I've done and find what is real again. The task of forgiveness is to stand inside the harm. And from that place of knowing, from that place of truth, with all of its pain, choose the path that leads toward love. Forgiveness is possible only, Thurman says, Forgiveness is possible only when the offender is able to stand inside the harm they have done and know the truth of that harm. What does this say to our deeply divided world? How do we deal with harm and violence that is done when the offender believes their actions were justified? When the offender is not sorry when the offender believes their actions are even holy. This is engaging forgiveness at the 201 level, and it is neither simple nor straightforward. How do we respond when the offender believes they have no need to be forgiven? This was true of the shooters at Mother Bethel and at Tree of Life. It's true of many who are being violent on our streets today. It's true for politicians who make excuses for stripping support from the most marginalized among us. It's true for those who claim that climate change has nothing to do with a world on fire. And it was true for the police officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck, listening to him call for his mama and waiting for him to die. How do we respond when the offender has no intention of ending the violence? How are we supposed to bring forgiveness to bear when our struggle is to find hope and sustain our faith in the power of love? Author Toni Morrison, who deals with forgiveness 
for the unforgivable in her novels, writes, there is a very big danger in being clutched by the past. And there is also a big danger in escaping from it. The job is to look at the past and take from it what is useful to go forward, not to ignore it, not to be entrapped by it, but to use the past to create progress and try not to repeat the past because you already know what that result will be. Morrison points to the danger that forgiveness, at least that simple version of forgiveness, can function to restore the past and therefore to maintain the harm. Forgive and remember is more my slogan, she writes. And she cites the South African truth and reconciliation process, the whole notion of speaking directly to your torturer, of hearing them confess and then not requiring punishment. She sees this as a brand new template, a brand new human template for dealing with institutional violence and harm. Now, like many of you, I can critique the South African model. It certainly did not deliver the promised land right away. But it did prevent that society from descending into violent chaos and retribution. And I wonder if we ourselves are not descending into chaos at this very time. To forgive and remember. Perhaps that's the right mix for these days. To forgive allows us not to center the harm. To remember allows us to learn from it. This is a time for clarity, time for some stakes in the ground, and any demand for simple forgiveness for all the harm that has been done is a guarantee that that harm will continue. Simple forgiveness is just not enough. We've tried that, many of us. Reverend Kimberly Hampton argues that black people need to stop forgiving a system that is not repentant. And she is right. There needs to be some acknowledgement, some confession, before even forgiveness can be real. And everyone, everyone who has any experience of abuse knows that the first priority, the outcome without which no hopeful progress is possible, the very first priority is to stop the harm. The Tetra Widman, Jacob Blake's sister, said it so well. So many people have reached out to me saying they're sorry that this has happened to my family, and I'm not sad. I'm not sorry. I'm angry, and I'm tired. I've been watching police murder people who look like me for years. I don't want your pity. I want change. So first and foremost, let's end the harm. Let's plant our stake there. Let's end all of the harms. But I told you that this was 201 level forgiveness.
our universalist roots tell us that we are all already lovable and already loved, right? That there are no surplus people and that none of us should or can be left behind. You've heard me preach this before. And as we navigate these days ahead, that's good news we can hold on to. But it means that those folks who disagree with us so completely, those folks who are doing the harm, they are already held in love too. And they can no more be left behind than can we. I've said it before, this faith is not for the faint of heart. Let me be clear, we cannot allow them to be in charge. But over time, we have to allow them or their children to change. I can argue that part of our problem in this society is that the United States has never given justice a chance, didn't fulfill the promise of reconstruction, allowed flight to the suburbs to defeat Brown versus Board, gutted the Voting Rights Act, did not protect Roe versus Wade, there's still no Employment Non-Discrimination Act. I could go on. So let's plant another stake in the ground. Let's finally make some real changes and then let's give justice a decent chance before we give up on too many people. And we can draw on our Unitarian roots as well with their affirmation of human agency, our ability to shape the world. That truth grew out of the early Unitarians' privilege. It's quite true. But as the people we are today, not without our own privileges, I might add, we can certainly use the confidence we inherit from them. Somewhere here, holding Howard Thurman's truth that empathy is central in the spiritual discipline of forgiveness, and Toni Morrison's truth that simple forgiveness runs the danger of restoring the past and maintaining the harm, her truth that forgive and remember may come closer to a sustainable path forward, holding fast to our certainty that the harm must be stopped first, and held by our faith that refuses to cast any of us out, and by trust that we have the power to make change, holding all of these truths and the truths of our individual lives as well. I believe our task is simple, or at least it can be simply said. We are called, we are called as we move into and through the coming days to help love live in an imperfect world because that is the only world we have been given. And I believe that forgiveness can help us live in that world as we truly want to live.
Would you join me in prayer? Spirit of life and of love, great mystery at the heart of things. Dear God of many names and beyond our naming, we gather for this homecoming to reclaim our faith, to sustain our hope, and to renew our belief in the power of love. This homecoming must be at a distance, but we can still hold one another in care. Help us stay clear that the ways we have been living are not the ways we have to live. The need for change cannot be denied. Help us hold fast to our vision of beloved community. It is not an idle dream. It can be real. But great spirit, while we remain clear and even insistent on change, help us also to be gentle with ourselves and with one another, forgiving where we can, liberating ourselves from the mistakes of our past into a future which is only now beginning to be revealed, discovering what it feels like to move unfettered by old compromise and inherited fear, liberated, bound by ties of our choosing, bound by ties of love. Today in this virtual sanctuary, may we remember how we hope to live and discover a path forward together. May that be so, and amen.